Amen. Revelation chapter number two, if you're there, say amen. amen. If you're glad you're saved, say glory. glory. If you still think Georgia should have been in the top four of the college football playoff, say boom shakalaka. <laughs> amen. Look at verse number one of chapter number two. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate." He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou hast suffered. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto the end, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And the angel of the church of Pergamus write these things, which saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even those wherein Antipas was faithful, my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and a stone and a new name written and no man knoweth saying, saving he that receiveth it. And the church, excuse me, and unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write. These things saith that the Son of God, who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works in charity, in service, in faith, and thy patience, and thy works, in the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for the wonderful song service. We thank you, Lord, for the reality of heaven. Lord, it's not something that we hope to expect and uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy one day. Lord, it is our earnest expectation. Lord, by faith, Lord, we know that one day our faith will be made sight. 
And one day we'll leave this sin-cursed world behind to spend eternity with you in heaven. And I pray, Lord, this morning you work in the hearts of each and every person that is here. Lord, I can only reach one person at one time, but God, you can speak to every single heart that is in the room this morning. God, you know the needs far greater than I do. You know the, 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 the hurts and the, the, the hard times that each person is dealing with. Lord, we, we know, Lord, that just because a calendar changes doesn't mean everything else changes with it. And I pray, Lord, you just work in our hearts this morning. If there's somebody here, a Lord, that doesn't know you as a personal Lord and Savior, God, would you draw them unto yourself and save them by your grace. Lord, let me just be a mouthpiece, a vessel in the hands of the Master this morning, empty out of myself and fill me with the Spirit of God. I just simply want to glorify you and serve you one more time. Lord, I love you, and I thank you, God, for what you're doing here and what you've already done. God, will give you the glory, God, for what you do with the rest of this service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can have a seat this morning. Thank you so much for standing, and thank you again for being with us this morning. And I promise to get you out before next year, okay? And I'll do my best to do that this morning. But I, you got to realize it is the last Sunday of 2023, and so I've got to get everything in that I forgot to get in the rest of the Sunday mornings. I've got to get in now, amen? But no, I'm just picking with you. But in reality, we are, we are at that time of the year. We, we, we know what this, this, this day and this, this time, it's after Christmas, and, and now we're approaching the new year, and no doubt, maybe... Maybe you already have or you've been thinking about some New Year's resolutions. Now, I know some preachers, they are boldly against them that no person should ever have a resolution. I'm not of that persuasion this morning. I think goals and resolutions are a good thing. Matter of fact, I would encourage every person to have some set of goals in their life because whether you realize it or not, we are goal-oriented people. Even the Christian life is a goal-oriented life. In essence, we are running for a prize. We are running for a finish line. We are running to a place and a person today and you know, ultimately, we know that goal, but what about the here and now? And say, well, preacher, what in the world does Revelation chapter number two have to do with you and I having goals and, and looking forward to the, the new year? Well, we've read this morning out of chapter number two, and we, we've been introduced to four churches. We've seen the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, of Pergamos, and Thyatira. Right, and now, understanding our Bibles, I believe that those that were, this book was written to and those that are being spoke of here, they were literal churches. They were there in Asia, but I also believe they represent church ages or, or, or the history of the church, so to speak, as the church is transforming and preparing, in essence, to the return of Christ. And I, I would definitely, I wouldn't argue with the man, I wouldn't pick a fight, but I, I firmly and understand that we're probably living in the Laodicean church days where we have everything we need. What else can God do for us? Right? We're increased of goods. We have need of nothing. And unfortunately, there are many churches even in our, our, our country alone, in our own city, they have everything. They don't even need the Holy Ghost anymore. May we never get to that place in our Christian life where we think that we've got everything we need and everything is all right. God, thank you, I got it from here. No, I can't even walk without him holding my hand this morning. But we see these four churches and we're gonna see something as, as we prepare for the new year. And a lot of times we set resolutions, right, and goals for the next year by just dealing with the highlights from the previous year. We go to the good times and say, man, I want some more of that. And no doubt I'm there with you. I like the good times. I enjoy this time of the year being a sports fan because, man, I can turn on YouTube and type in top plays of 2023. And I can sit there and watch every sport from every, every top play from every sport and be entertained and, and, and enjoy those things. But I also understand that not every team season is nothing but highlights. 
That there are down times, there are bad plays, there are, there are things that need to be improved. In order for you and I to have a, a good goal and a, a good resolution for this year coming up, may I, may, I, may I tell you this morning that we have to do an honest assessment. In essence, we can't look through the blinders or, or you know, the, the, the glasses that only see the good things, but we too have to take in those things that need improvement in our life or those areas where we know that we were lacking in our Christian life that need improvement. And we see this morning that the Lord does that with four of these churches here this morning. Really, it's three out of the four. He presents the highlights, right? He gives us some good things about these churches. And to be honest with you, these highlights, I would love to have at South Haven Baptist Church. I would love these things to be our testimony. When people hear about our church and, and we talk about our church, they would say, oh, that's that church that takes Christianity seriously. That's that church that loves the Lord, that loves people, that loves the gospel, that loves serving God. It is, it is what they love to do. But we see some of these highlights. Ephesus, they had a desire for purity. Look at verse number two. So thou and thy labor and thy patience and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, has tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. In essence, that those in Ephesus, these men had come in and we are apostles, we are men of God and they put them through the ringer and came to the, the conclusion, no, you're not. You are not who you are claiming to be. Get out of here. Right before the service, Brother Ricky looked at me. He said, did you read your Bible this week, preacher? And thankfully I did. <laughs> thankful I didn't have to lie about that. But I'm thankful, listen, those are the kind of things that, you know, it's good to hold each other accountable. Because I, can, I, can I say, if I got in the habit of coming up here and say, listen, take your Bible, set it to the side, let's open up the newspaper real quick. Or take, I'm going to tell you some funny stories and we're going to be done. May I say, get me out of the way. And get a man who's willing to open up God's word and say, thus saith the Lord. They had a desire for purity. They were dedicated to their purpose. Thou hast, verse number three, and hast borne, hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Those at Ephesus were serious about doing something for God. Then you go down to verses eight and nine, we see the church at Smyrna, they were in a difficult position. And yet they served God. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. It's interesting to think that back in their days, Satan had to disguise himself into the synagogue. We live in a day and age where there is literally a church of Satan have their own buildings, their own meetings. But church at Smyrna was in a difficult position. They had definite persecution. The Lord told listen, Satan's going to throw some of y'all in jail. Here's the thing. Satan's the father of lies. And so he was able to put Christians in prison based on lies. Well, we see it in Paul's day. We see it even Jesus himself was arrested on a lie. But there was a definite persecution. There was a defined prize. The Bible says they, they would give a crown of life in verse number 10. These are highlights. These are, these are good things. Even though they were in a difficult position, they were still recipients of a crown of life. Then you go down to Pergamus in verses 12 and 13. They had a de determined perseverance. It said, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, in verse 13, even where Satan's seed is. In essence, they were in the belly of the beast. They were in a place where it, was, it, was, it wasn't just difficult, but it was disgusting. It was hard. It was wretched. It was just, if you would take all of sin together and combine it, that's where you would find the church at Pergamos. How many would like to go pastor that church? That kind of environment. But they had a determined perseverance. That even though their surroundings were not perfect, they still served God. 
Then you go down to Thyatira, verses 18 and 19, they had a diligent patience. He said it twice there in verse number 19, or he talks about their, their works, but then he also talks about thy patience. They were patient. They were in step with God. I was teaching the Sunday school class this morning, our, our young people, about running a race. And, and God's design for running the race is counterintuitive to the way we were taught to run a race. Because as soon as that, that gun sounds, as soon as that, that horn sounds, we take off at full speed. God says, no, that's not how we run the Christian race. We run it with patience. Really, patience is you and I learning to live the Christian life in step with God. And step with him this morning. And so we see these highlights. And, and maybe just like these churches, you can look back in your life this year and you say, well, preacher, I do have some highlights. I do have some things that went well, some things that I pursued, some things that through God's grace and the, the work of the Holy Spirit, I was able to accomplish for the glory of God. I'm thankful this year. I can look back on my year as well and see some areas where God was working and God was moving, that they went well and they were successful. But then three out of the four churches, Jesus speaks to them. Verse number four, he says, nevertheless. Verse number 14, he said, I have a few things against thee. And verse number 20, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Some things that need to be corrected, some things that need to be resolved, some things that needed to be changed for the better. And God doesn't bring these things up to these churches because he hates them, because he is, he is beyond the point of fixing them. But really he brings them up because he tells them all three times that if things don't change, the candlestick's going to go missing, the power, the fire, the desire is going to burn out if these things don't get resolved. May I remind you this morning, when God points out issues of sin and selfishness and pride and arrogance in our life, he's doing it through a, 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 a avenue and a platform of love. He desires the best for you and I, and in doing so, he is willing to pinpoint those things in our life that need to be dealt with, that need to be resolved because he wants the best, but he also knows the danger of letting them linger and where they will eventually end up. See, a lot of times we like to live our Christian life like we try to live our, our physical life. Lord, doctor, just give me the good news. Your heart's fine. Well, praise the Lord, but your liver, oh, doctor, I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> if my heart's good, that's good enough, doctor. I'm not worried about anything else, but the, the danger is if you and I don't understand the issues that are present in our life, we're going to find ourselves in a place we don't desire to be. And so when God points these things out to these churches, he's giving them an honest assessment. Yes, you have done some wonderful things. Notwithstanding, there's a few things they need to get it fixed. Church of Ephesus, they had, lost their, they had left their first love. Look at verse number four. Nevertheless, I have someone against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. I believe if you had walked into the church of Ephesus, Everything would have been functioning like it was supposed to function. Ministries were being done. People were doing what they're supposed to do. It just lacked love. It just lacked a sincere desire down from the bottom of their hearts that they were overjoyed that somebody like them got to serve the Lord. It turned into, well, it's Sunday morning. I have to go to church. It's Sunday night. I, I mean, preachers say we're having the Lord's Supper. Though I don't want to be there, I'm going to be there. Right? Or, or I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, but I don't. I, and, we, and they were still doing the things that they were supposed to be doing. They had just lost their love to do it. And we see here this morning that God tells them, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, verse 5, and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of this place except thou 
Repent. God said, you can keep doing it the way you want to do it. You can keep living the way you're living, but don't be surprised when the power disappears. When the unction of the Holy Spirit begins to be removed from that place. Ephesus had lost their first love. Pergamus had aligned with false doctrine. Look at verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast therein them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And you got to realize, we go back to verse number 13. You remember where they are. They are in the seat of Satan. In essence, that, 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 that terminology means that where all the power was focused, where all the prominence was focused was the seat of Satan. So here's little Pergamus, and they are surrounded by satanic worship, satanic ideas, satanic doctrine everywhere it is around for them and they stood for a little while and maybe they lost hope, maybe they lost their fire, maybe they lost their desire and somewhere they wanted to came, oh so preacher if we can't beat them we might as well join them. We might as well you know let a, let a few things here in and there, everything we, we kind of stand for the same things. And so they began to let the doctrine of Satan, the doctrine of Nicolaitans in. And God said, I'm not for that. We're living in a generation, we're seeing the results of this now. Where, where churches have no longer, they're no longer standing on the word of God. Are no longer standing for the truths that are in this book. And they're allow, not just allowing things in anymore, but now they're beginning to ordain things. And beginning to, to, to focus on things and to preach things that are contrary to the word of God. And you ask them why, well we got to change so we can reach everybody. Here's, the, here's my answer to that. The gospels worked long before they ever came around. We don't have to change anything. We just got to stick with the book. It'll work, amen? Here, Pergamus, they had a line with false doctrine. Then you go to verse number 20. Here's Thyatira. What did he have against them? He said, I have a few things against thee because thou hast sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. You look, you look that name up, Jezebel, it literally means the unchaste. It means to exalt Baal, right? To let, now, it'd be one thing if this was just a poor lady whose parents didn't know any better and they gave her the name Jezebel. But we see here that it's more than just a, a naming thing. This is this woman's desire. She, is a, she, she calls herself a prophetess, but at the same time, what is coming out of her mouth is not to glorify God, but it's an act of seduction. She is drawing folks away from God. And any time you and I begin to listen to something or begin to hang around certain people or begin to do certain things that draw us away from God, mark it down, that is not from God. And here, John the Beloved is writing on the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he says, listen, there are some things, yes, Thyatira, they were patient and they had some works, but they have allowed this false teacher into the pulpit. Can I say this morning, you may not realize it, but I, I guard this pulpit, not, not in the sense, in the physical sense, but that which is coming across this pulpit, I, I hold to a high regard. In essence, if somebody just shows up on a Sunday morning who I don't know, don't know where they came from, don't know their mom and daddy, don't know what church they're from, they're not going to stand up here and preach. It's too sacred of a place. It's too, it's too serious of a thing. And we see this morning here, Thyatira had begun to ease that off. They had begun to accept preachers who just make you feel good but never feed you. But let me ask you this one. What about you? Enough about Thyatira and, and Ephesus. 
and Pergamum. What about you this morning? Are there some things in your life that if we're going to be real honest and do a real honest assessment, we'd have to say, yeah, the Lord's got that against me. There are areas in my life, yes, I have some highlights. Boy, I sure do have some mess-ups, though. I do have some things that are in need of reproof and correction and being fixed. And let me ask or this morning, let me ask you, where is your love at? Where is your heart's desire in your stance on doctrine? Where is your heart's on a desire on, on men standing and preaching, thus saith the Lord? But not just that. But let me ask you, when it comes to your soul winning, could we say that the Lord has something against that? Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Oh, preacher, I'm not, I mean, it's so, and that's, that's difficult, it's hard, but it is commanded of us to do. We are told to do that. We are directed to it. It's our great commission to soul and to share the gospel. What about your service? What about your study? What about your associations? What about your allowances? What things you allow in your life? Would the Lord have some things against that? Now, remember, we're not raising these ideas because we think we're better one than another. But rather, we're raising them because the Lord loves us. And he desires the best for us. So as we go into the new year, there's some things. If we're going to say, preacher, 2024 is going to be my year. Not if you don't do an honest assessment, it won't. It hinges on that. But when it comes to the church at Smyrna, the Lord doesn't have anything to say against them. He doesn't bring out anything against, not that they were perfect. I mean, it's not that they were just the one perfect church in all of history, but no, they, were, they weren't perfect or without problems, but when it came to doing what God wanted them to do, they did that without exception, and they desired to do that the right way. They didn't have an exceptional issue. The Lord had no critique to give them. Boy, wouldn't that be a wonderful Christian life to live? That we live in such a way that we know in our hearts, I believe it's how Paul lived. Paul said, I have finished my, my course. I have kept the faith. I have fought my fight. I have done what God told me to do. I, I, no doubt Paul wasn't perfect, but yet he pursued in his heart to do what God told him to do. Not that, he had, not that they had achieved perfection, but they had been faithful to the expectations, the instructions of the Lord. My question was, how did they do that? How was this achieved? How did that happen in the church of Smyrna? And thankfully, God gives us their testimony. Verses 8 and 10, this morning is where we'll be at. That was all introduction this morning. But don't worry, I've got some short points, practical points this morning. We're giving their testimony. In this testimony, we can see some steps that they took that enabled them to have a wonderful, honest assessment from the Lord. No, well, preacher, what did they notice? Number one, they decided upon a goal. They decided upon a goal. Look at verse number 9. I know thy works. In essence, I don't know how it, how it came to be. I don't know if they had a business meeting. I don't know if they passed out things in Sunday school. I don't know how they did this. But somehow, every believer in the church of Smyrna said, you know what, God has a work for me to do, and I'm going to do it. The work of the church was comprised of the works of individuals, believers in the church. Each person had a decided upon goal. They were going to do the work that the Lord desired of them. Let me ask you, what about you? What, ha what work have you decided to do the Lord. What work has God led you to? What God, well, well, are, he's leading you to. The question is, are you following him? In essence, are you saying, all right, this is the work that God wants me to do. Can I say the Lord's put a word in my heart for 2024 and we'll talk to you about it on Vision Sunday, but it's a word that the nominal Christian is not going to like. 
It's a word that the complacent Christian is not going to like. It's a word that the, 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 the convenient Christian isn't going to like. But it's needed. And I, th- I firmly believe that's where the Lord would have us to be at this year. But notice this, they decided upon a goal. They were going to do their work. Well, they had the general work. Every Christian is supposed to do. Right? There are works in our Bible that is not just for a select few or the super saints, but it is for every Christian to do. Right? Soul winning, pray, study, read your Bible. What is your plan concerning those? Let me ask you this morning, how many people did you lead to the Lord last year? Well, preacher, you know, it's not a numbers thing. I would agree with you. I would agree with you, but do you think the Lord would desire for you and I not to lead anybody to the Lord? He's not willing that any should perish. And I don't think it's so much of a response as much as it is a reaching out issue. See, we reach out once or twice, we get shut down, we're, the gospel don't work no more. Uh, And I understand it does get aggravated. I understand it does get upset when you think, man, if I could just take what I know, take it from my heart, throw it into your heart, everything would be better. But at the same time, let me ask you, what are are your goals for soul winning this year? How many people would you like the Lord to allow you to see get saved by the grace of God? Maybe one. That's a good place to start. Because for some of us, if God saves one person that we, that we share the gospel with in 2024, it's 100% more than what happened this year. And it starts with one, and you see two, and you see three this morning. But you have to set goal. What about studying your Bible? What about reading God's word this morning? What about praying? What are your plans concerning those? Not only is it a generic work or a general work, that is for every Christian to do, but there's also a specific work. Right? Unique areas and issues that apply specifically to you. How many, how many got some talents to this afternoon, this morning? How many got some talents that you know that God gave them to you? They're things that you are good at. They're things that you are capable at doing, and they're unique to you. God has given some of you talents that he hasn't given to some other people, right? And at the same time, so we know that if God gives us these talents, what is our specific goal with those this year? How am I going to honor Christ with my talents that he's given. We could go back to the gospel this morning and turn to where Jesus teaches how some got uh, 10, one got five, and one got one, and the one that got one got upset because he didn't get five. And God's not really concerned about how many talents you have, but what are you doing with your talents? The specific work. What goals do you have for them? And then there's seasonal work. Right? We're all in different seasons this morning. I'm in my mid, I'm in my mid-30s, a middle age. I think that's what that's considered now. And I'm in, a, I'm in a season that some of you aren't in this morning. Some of you don't have a, a two-year-old running around the house terrorizing you. Some of you do, right? Some of you don't have a, a daughter that's about to turn into a teenager. And some of us do. And some of us don't have a middle child that is just like me when I was a middle child. I do have a third child. There he is. His name's Tatum, just like me. But at the same time, we're at different seasons of life, right? We are, we are, we are at different times. And in those seasons, there's, I think there's a, a seasonal work for God to have in that season. But remember, seasons change. And what you're doing now may not be what you're doing 10 years from now. And you have to allow the Lord to help you recognize when seasons begin to change. But there is no season of retirement in the Christian life. There is no season of retirement in the Christian life. You may be physically retired. You may be drawing a check from the years that you, you worked and praise God for that. But there is no retirement in the Christian life. 
The season that I'm in now, God has allowed me to stand behind a pulpit and preach at least three times a week. But there may come a season in my life where physically I cannot do what I do this morning. That doesn't mean God's done with me. The season's changed. And so I need to learn what God is desiring out of this season. God, what do you want out of this stage in my life? And those at Smyrna, they decided we're going to do that work, not just the general, but the specific in the seasonal. Let me ask you, what goals have you set concerning the work the Lord has you to do? First of all, they, they, they decided upon a goal. Number two, they developed grit. They developed grit, not the kind that you put butter in and cheese and eat, but resolve, right? The resolve, desire, perseverance, or like we like to say, grit. I found this statistic. I thought it was quite interesting. They said when it comes to New, York, New Year's resolutions, 23% of resolutions made don't last beyond the first week of January. Then 43% don't make it past the month of January. Only 9% of resolutions made last, or, or they see it all the way through. In essence, they, they achieve the resolution that they have desired to do, the goal they have set. They only 9%. So if we were to put that statistic into our church this morning where we are sitting at this morning, when it comes to you say, preacher, I, I've got some goals, some things I'm going to desire and I'm going to do for God this morning, you've got to realize you would take half the church, slide it over here, you won't even make it past the first week of January. Then you come over here and you take the other 25% and say, you, from here on back, aren't going to make it past January. Then you get three right here. You're going to say, all right, you'll be the 9% that make it. The 9% that see it all the way through. You say, well, preacher, that is discouraging. That is, that, I mean, preacher, why'd you put me in that half, preacher? What you trying to say? <laughs> I'm just giving an example here this morning. It was, oh, preacher, I, I want to be in the 9%. That's great and that's wonderful. But may I remind you that God does not operate by statistics. God is not confined by statistics. In essence, tonight, if you and I, every one of us, develop a desire in our heart to serve God, God is capable of bringing every single one, 100% of us, to the end of our desired goal. We don't have to say, I want to be in the nine. I just want to be the one that does what God wants me to do. But God doesn't care about the statistic. He's got enough to make 100%. However, we cannot expect it to be easy. You're not making a popular church choice. The world isn't going to like it, and carnal Christians won't like it either. You're going to need some resolve, some grit. Why? Verse number nine, you'll face difficult situations. Look at verse number nine. The Bible said those uh, that were in Smyrna, they were going to face what? Tribulation. I know that works, not tribulation. That word comes from the word tribulum. It was an instrument they would use in threshing wheat. It was a stick. At the end of it, it had a long nail, and they would just beat the wheat and beat the wheat with it until the chaff and the, and the seed separated. And it was, a, it was a painful process, at least for the wheat. And sometimes in our Christian life, that, that tribulation process is never fun. right? It's never, it's never something we, we look forward to, but at the end of it, our tribulation, our trials are not without purpose, without reason. And essence, when God takes you and I through the fire, it is not because he enjoys watching us being burned, but rather he knows there's impurities that must be burnt out, and when we come forth, we'll shine forth like gold. But it won't be easy. There's tribulation. There's poverty. There's poverty. Look at verse number nine. The Bible said, I know that works, that tribulation, poverty. Ain't that a blessing when God looks at you and says, yeah, I know you're poor. I know you don't have the funds. I know you're not a multi-million dollar business. I know, I know you're not sitting on wealth and capital and investments. I know you don't have all that, but don't forget you are rich. Just not on earthly means. 
What we talked about on Wednesday night, the things that God's given us, eternal life, a family, a faith, our, our Bible, our, our, his fellowship, his peace, you can't put a price tag on that. We are far beyond rich this morning. But we may experience times in our life where the physical need seems like it's not being met. That is not an excuse to quit or to give up. Tribulation, poverty, blasphemy. The right location, but with the wrong leader. Look what it says right there. The Bible said right there in verse number nine, I know the blasphemy of them that say they're the Jews, or they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do you realize this one, that you and I, we are in a spiritual fight? We're in a spiritual battle. That's why when Paul was writing Ephesians, he didn't say, hey, put you on a few spiritual clothes. He said, put on the armor of God. It, that, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And in essence, tonight we've got to realize that, or this morning, not, not just that we're going to go through difficult times in life in general, but that the very powers of hell will come against you and I. Because they want nothing more than watch God's work and God's plan come to a stop in your life. You're going to face difficult Difficult situations. You'll face devilish strikes. Verse number 10 talks about Satan himself putting them in prison. God may let you have a Job experience. I wish this morning I could stand up and say, listen, everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be fine. You get saved by the grace of God. You get your life right with God and all your problems are going to go away. The only problem is I have too much Bible to preach otherwise. I started to preach that. Job would say, excuse me. He was a just and a right man. He, he had sacrificed on not just himself, but on behalf of his children. And yet the Bible said that Satan himself, allowed by God, comes into Job's life and physically, emotionally robs him, hurts him, causes pain. And yet, here's the thing, just make sure if you're going through the Job experience, make sure you get the full experience. What do you mean by that, preacher? Go read the end of the book. Job came out better than he went in. And a lot of times in our life, we, we, we are smack dab in the middle of it. And instead of seeing it through, instead of resolve and grit down in our soul saying, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. It turns out, though he slay me, I'm done. I quit, I give up. You'll face devilish strikes. Job came out better, not bitter. Let me ask you, have you sought and thought about, sat and thought about what might make you quit? And ask the Lord to help you that it doesn't. Can, can I get real honest with you sometimes? I'm a human. My mind's just like yours. I, I've ran scenarios. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if I lose this? What if I lose that? What if this changes? What am I going to do? And my natural reaction is just quit. Give up. But I've had to say, Lord, if that does happen, and Lord, if that does take place, and Lord, if I do lose that, or I do lose this, Lord, would you please help me not to quit? Because I know you're worth it. Lord, give me some spiritual grit to pursue and to keep going. Notice they developed grit. They decided upon a goal. Then notice number three, they depended upon the Lord. Verse number 10, fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall be, have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Be faithful unto death. Preacher, I don't know if I can do that. In your own strength, you can't this morning. You can't be faithful unto death in your own power, but in God's strength, you can. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He knows how to do it this morning.
We are depending upon the Lord for many things, but are we, we are also depending upon him for our reward. Eternal life is a free gift, but that crown of life is a reward that we'll get a cast at the feet of Jesus Christ. We'll be rewarded for depending upon the Lord to do the work he has inspired and instructed us to do this morning. They depended upon the Lord. It's great to have a goal. It's great to have resolve and grit, or as they like to say, to have a backbone like a saw log. It's great to have those things. But if we do not depend upon the Lord, our strength runs out. Our life runs out. Our ability falls short. But his doesn't. What a prayer to pray in this upcoming year. God, help me to be faithful unto death. In essence, Lord, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, Lord, I'm going to do what you told me to do. Whose reward are you seeking, the Lord's or someone else's? He had somewhat against Ephesus. He had somewhat against Pergamos. He had somewhat against Thyatira, that little church in Smyrna. God said, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they're doing it how you're supposed to be doing it. And he gave you and I that this morning so we could learn in 2024. If I'm going to set some goals, I'm going to have to do an honest assessment. And when I look back and I see the highlights, man, take the highlights with the, the low lights, if you want to say it that way, and let me learn from both of them. That way in this year I can do more for God than I did last year. What are your goals this year? Where's your grit and how much are you willing to depend upon the Lord this year? Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed. So coming for a time of invitation.